Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Run Culture Podcast. This is episode 27. This week I interview Rod Griffin. Rod Griffin is a prominent distance running coach in Australia. He's coached for the last 30 years and coached athletes such as Collis Birmingham and Stewie McSwain. Those two athletes were actually um, two of the last three Australian 10K record holders. He coached both athletes as juniors, And he's coached a myriad of other fantastic athletes. Rod is just so approachable, easy to talk to, and um, so generous with sharing his stories and his time. Uh, That's probably one of the beauties about Rod is that he's so easygoing and he loves to laugh and um, loves a chat. So I think a lot of people will get a lot out of this interview and uh, it's because of these interviews and and chats like this that I really am enjoying doing this podcast. So over the next uh, yeah 10 or so weeks, I'll have interviews like this with coaches for this little coaches segment that I'm doing. And next week, I'll be back with my own sort of training in my lead up to the Canberra 50K. All right, I'll chat next week and I hope you enjoy the interview with Rod Griffin. Okay, sorry. All right, Rod, how did you get into athletics? Okay, well, I didn't start athletics till very late. I was about 19, 20 when I started. I started going out with a girl who was a very good sprinter. I was originally born in England, came out to Australia when I was 18. And so I used to go down the track and watch her run and took up, took up running. Was a very average sprinter, come middle distance, come really rubbish distance runner but I just really enjoyed the sport. And anyway, after a few years, I um, I was working out in the gym one day and was too proud to ask to be spotted when I was doing some squats and ruptured a disc in my back and had to have fairly major surgery on my back. And that really curtailed my uh, running because after that, I just had hamstrings that would pop all the time and it was just not enjoyable anymore. So I started coaching a few of the junior athletes in the club I had no background, I just had a passion for the sport. And uh, anyway, a couple of good kids came along and I did quite well with them. And then a young fellow called Corey Prout, who you probably know who's yeah. a physio now. Yeah. Corey, Corey's dad asked me, oh, look, I don't want to coach my son, would you coach him? I said, well, I'll try. <laughs> and it, it turned out that Corey was just one heck of a runner. So I got my coaching ticket and, and did some study and I was lucky enough to meet a guy from up the bush who coached uh, some of the uh, people like Frank Shevlin, Paul Fenn, Ruth Barton, or a guy called Kevin Maple. And okay. Kevin was actually a football coach, but Kevin had a had an incredible record as a athletics coach. And he mentored me and helped me and showed me how to set programs and what have you. And with Corey, I had an enormous amount of success. Um, Corey won uh, Vic titles, national titles. I think he won an Oceana 3K. And from that sort of and when you're a coach in the country you sort of other people thought oh this guy must know the meaning of life and the next thing you know <laughs> I've got two boys called the Olivers come along and they wanted me to coach them and they were again very good athletes and uh, then had some great success with those and then a young well actually two young fellas came along uh, Joel and Collis Birmingham ah. <laughs> and uh, it was actually Joel at the time was the probably the more outstanding athlete and probably Joel could have represented Australia in decathlon. Yep. But but uh, Collis, you could see from the word go that he was a little Rolls Royce. You know, he just he could just run, and he he was just a delight to coach. And I coached him from about the age of ten through to uh, Beijing Olympics. And uh, yep. 
And I was lucky that I had a squad at the time of, of Collis, um, a guy called Mark Cornish, whose dad, Steve, was an incredibly good four and eight runner. And Mark was a pretty handy 800 metre runner. And of course, my son, Matt. And so I had this wonderful squad of, of those four boys, plus the Olivers. And I also was at the time, Vicky Mitchell had moved to Ballarat. And so I was coaching Vic and an, another girl called Emily Rook and another girl called Joe, Joe Safine Gallett. And so I, had, I was just lucky to have this wonderful squad that the, the vibe within the squad was just incredible. They got on really well. And uh, yeah, that was really the start of it. And, uh, yeah. and sort of from there, you know, I've been very lucky enough to coach a, a lot of really good athletes. Yeah, well, that's um, great to see how it's just unfolded, especially, you know, after injuring your back and you're still able to um, enjoy enjoy athletics. Um, uh, when when you learnt off Kevin Maple, like a bit of the, um, you know, what like from Kevin Maple, some of the coaching principles. What what did you really um, remember from that you gained from experiencing from him, like listening into him and? Uh, well, he sh- showed me how to structure a program. Um, he also one a lot of his words of advice were along the lines of. Uh, they're better to be underdone and racing than overdone and on the sidelines, and that is that you've just cooked them. So yeah. I was, I've always been a very conservative coach from that point of view, and I've tried to. You can never say you'll never get your athletes injured, but I try to almost be in damage lim- limitation. That is, keep them on the track because there's there's nothing, and you'd know yourself. There's nothing more frustrating than if you're injured, you've got yourself to a great shape, and then bang, something's happened. So that's always been an overwhelming philosophy. Mm-hmm. Another thing that he always said is that it's always when you greet your athlete after an event, greet them with a smile. They know if they've run badly, no matter how badly they've run, you treat them. Greet them with a smile and pick something positive out of their run. Even if it's all all that you can say is, well, you finished and you didn't give it away. Yeah. You always, always be positive with the athletes. And those were some things I've tried to retain all the way through my coaching. Okay, great. And then when you did have this um, fantastic squad forming, uh, like, um, what was the structure of a week? So when you had um, Collis and Joel and... And, and Matt and Corey Prout and Vic Mitchell, like when, what days would they all train together and um, where would they train and uh, what kind of sessions did you start sort of giving them in general? Like what was your uh, routine? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, they train together pretty much every day. Okay. Uh, we, uh, I'll, I'll throw into that too. Jared Talent used to come along for some of the easy runs oh, really? uh, just to get some endurance. and. Quite frankly, could walk faster than he could run, but that was another story. <laughs> we used to have a massive group meet. We used to live in a place called Mount Clear in Ballarat. Yep. And uh, at the time, there was just rolling hills all around there. Uh, on one side, you had where Mona and Tony Benson trained a lot. On the other side was really an area that we sort of started to develop as a training area. All these rolling hills in forests, they were just sensational. So the Sunday run was obviously still the, the, a big part of it. And we'd have up to 40 or 50 of, of the squad. My squad was far too big at the time. Yep. And they'd do their Sunday runs together. We, we, we spent probably two to three days on the track during the week. We'd use Lamberis in summer. In winter, we preferred to get away from the, from the track and get out into the bush or onto granatic sand paths. And uh, one of the things that we did do was compete regularly. Um, we in Ballarat there's a great uh, cross-country scene so in winter there's about half a dozen major races in Ballarat well that of the lakes sort of seen as a bit of an iconic race and then we do all the uh, AV uh, races plus nationals and then in summer the same in track I encourage my athletes to 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 race regularly track to me is a good extension of training so okay, they wouldn't rate, you know, Collis wouldn't rate uh, eight and fifteen. I used to have him doing twos, fours, um, maybe a bit of over distance, and the boys would always have their grunt contest in the shot put. So, <laughs> in, so, so, so we used interclub here because I felt obliged to too. Because in a small community, if if you say, "Oh, my squad's too good, we won't compete," then it's you're you're, you're pulling away from from what from the scene and you're not helping that scene grow so they used to compete but they you know it was never deadly serious and we 
we use it as, as I said as an extension of training yeah and so you mentioned um, Steve Monaghetti and uh, for the listeners can you paint sort of a bit of a picture of like how the how the how it looks in terms of the running scene over in Ballarat like how many groups are there and and does everyone just sort of train together here and there um, uh, yeah what does it look like well, in, in those days, and I'm going back to the uh, late 90s, early noughties with a lot of this, that the scene in Ballarat was incredible. Um, there would be massive training groups out there. I was reluctant to have the youngsters train with... Some very handy athletes, Shane Nankervis, and there was uh, Hector Baggio from the Philippines and those. And they... Predominantly a junior group, so I would limit the amount of times that they worked with them on the longer runs, just purely to. And as they got older, certainly college used to jump over and work in that group on a Sunday. But most of the time, with Matt, Matt, uh, Mark, and uh, Corey, he had all the quality he needed to train with, and so during the week they probably trained together. So, but as it's got on now. Sadly, in Ballarat, that depth isn't there anymore, and the the groups have got quite a bit smaller. Okay, and um, uh, you mentioned um, like back then, like your squad was forty strong, and um, you said that you know that you know may have been too big. Um, why do you say that? Well, why I say that is that at the time I was just happy to have anyone come and train with me. But the problem is, and, you, and I suppose this is where you've got to balance your training group, yep. and you don't want to become completely elite uh, by any stretch. Proper service to each athlete. And I think that was where, where it became a point that some of the kids were there really I was a babysitter. Uh, whereas, and I didn't like doing that, but you've got, when I could see Collis was really developing well, Giles, Vicky, Matt, and I had to start to say, well, look, I've got to, got to give them more time and more planning into their programs. And so it really meant that a, a 40 and 50 is just too many to try and coach. Because yeah. I like to, I don't run with my group. I like to ride a bike with them or be there. I like to see what they're doing and trying to watch 50 people yeah. train. It, it becomes very, very difficult. Yeah. So to, to deliver like a really good quality sort of coaching service like to every individual and make sure that you don't make mistakes and um yeah make sure that you're fully abreast exactly. everything yep yep my squad now would be i'd probably coach about 30 athletes now but some are by correspondence because i uh some have moved to melbourne i've got some in in uh, bendigo and i've got a couple in canberra and what have you so i uh, and a couple in hamilton so i can co- I coach by correspondence i i'm sort of available 24 7. yep yeah okay and then I always remember there was a period where Collis uh, started to do 800s and um, he had one season, I think it was when State League was still on and he suddenly burst onto the scene doing sort of some shorter events and because um, like before that I largely had known him as more a cross-country runner and um, uh, it, might, it might have been after he sort of, I don't know, he, he, went, he was quiet for a year or so and then he just burst onto the scene and, and ran some good 800s and 1500s. So. Um, well, that, that was that was a decision we we decided to make. Yeah, I, I, a great mate of Collis and a great mate of all of us actually was Clint Perrett. Uh-huh. And I just I saw Clint go from under twenties to open, and at the time there was an enormous amount of depth. And Clinton had a and he went straight into five k's against some pretty talented five k guys. And I thought, well, Collis is coming up to this age group. I'm not sure I want to throw him to the walls. And I thought. This is a perfect opportunity to let's get some speed into the legs to make sure he, when he makes that step up that he's got some genuine speed. So we moved into eights. I used to have him even running into club fours. So we, we really concentrated on eight and 1500 and he knocked seconds off his uh, times in both of those. And in fact, at the time we were pretty much the dominant four by eight and four by 15 team. And it really, I think it really set Collis up so that when he did make that progression into open, he had some really good speed in the legs. Yeah, yeah, no, I always remember that. And, um, yeah, I felt like it was really good for his development. Um, 
Yeah, and I remember around about the same time, Matt, um, your son, Matt Griffin, he was running really well um, over like, 800s. Like, it must have been pretty fun to coach the squad and but also to see Matt go so well. Yeah, look, it was because I never coached Matt as a, as a youngster. His grandfather did. Okay. It, was only, it was only when he moved out of home that I started coaching him because I, I just felt otherwise we couldn't switch off. You know, it was... Yeah. So when he moved out of home, I, I, I used to always do his winter prep and his grandfather would do his summer prep training. And then once he moved out of home, I took over the lot. And um, yeah, it was, and I think I was so lucky to have that four guys who, was, you know, who were really tied as friends. At one point, they all had the same PB to the 10th. What time? It was when they were, I think it was when Collis was 17, they were all 150.9. Jeez. <laughs> so so I, I was satisfied with that because I knew I wasn't favouring. <laughs> it, it was, in, yeah, Matt knocked, won the uh, Vic Open 800 that year. I think it was about 2005. Yep. Uh, and that was a pretty quality field because there was Chris McCarthy. There was, um, yeah. well, I was trying to think, it was a huge field. And they had to yep. run heat semis and finals. And, uh, but they made the mistake of running the final a little bit slow and we all knew Matt had a massive kick and yeah, he um, he ran, he won that one going away. And it was, it was very satisfying. You know, I think it, in some ways it's one of the nicest feelings I've ever had coaching is to have your son win, a, win oh, an yeah. open title, it's nice. Oh, especially because that was when Chris McCarthy was just about at the yes. peak of his powers. Yeah, he was, and yeah. Uh, yeah, Matt surprised everyone. In fact, I had a pretty good day that day. I think they were first, third, and fourth in the final. Really? So yeah. that was Matt uh, with Collis, and um, was it? Matt uh, Cornish was fourth. Yep. And he yep. should he should have got third. He was too busy barricading Matt on. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the fourth of your, uh, was that um, Corey? Or, it was yeah, Corey, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, Joel was always a handy fill-in. And then, of course, the yeah. guy that I've forgotten to mention, Sammy Ellis, was around there yes. too. Sam could go a bit. Yes. And, uh, he, he won a national cross and, uh, yeah, very handy athlete. Okay. Um, and then, so, around about this time, did you always have a pretty good feeling that um, uh, Collis was going to become... The athlete that he became, um, like, like how, like how certain were you that he was pretty special? Oh, look, I think, yeah, well, he he didn't lose very often, so that gives you a pretty good idea. Yeah. And the good thing with Collis was that we had a pretty good relationship. That he, uh, from a very young age, I encourage all my athletes to have some say in their program and have some say in what races they want to do. Um, because I think you, you, you're always working in a partnership. Um, you can be a little bit dictatorial when they're youngsters, but once they get to 15, 16, they start to think about their sport if they're pretty good. And so I, I find that I start to give them a bit of ownership of what they do. And I'll always be, remember, there was the year Collis won the Zatapec under 20. And uh, we talked about it during the week. And uh, he said, yeah, right. On. I reckon they're going to all sit on me. And he said, I'm going to have to just um, just sit there and, and then have to go because otherwise I'm still not the biggest kicker around and somebody will jump off the back of me. And at the time, I think Craig Appleby was very handy and there was a few others that could kick a bit. So uh, Collis said, what do you think of this for a plan? He thought this one up himself. He said, I'll roll the first K. And then he, he said, I'm going to go nuts for a K. And still <laughs> And then I'll I'll see and then I'll just run as hard as I can for the last bit. And so what he did was he just rolled and then he just went nuts and ran the next K and just it was nearly 60, 60, 30 for his next K. He absolutely gunned it. Jeez. And then and he put such a gap in them, he conned them. Yep. And they didn't have a go. Yep. And by the time they started to chase him down, he was almost climbing stairs, but he <laughs> he still <laughs> He still uh, got home, and it, yeah. So that was a case of I had faith in his thought and said, yep. well, "Look, you you want to run it that way? I'm happy for you to have a crack at it." Yep. And so there's that partnership thing, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, look, I I knew he was going to be damn good. Uh, but uh, you always, you know, you, you can't say I oh, had that inkling that he knew he knew in his own mind that he was had, he was destined to do well.
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I like... Um, is that another part of your philosophy, that ownership? Like, um, like I, I think if an athlete wants to do something, then they're more likely to really believe in it and, uh, and um, yeah, go for it, I suppose. Like, Yeah, you try and be a voice of reason. For yeah. instance, I had a couple um, just this week that wanted to... They'd had a good... We've had just had the Victorian Country Championships and a couple of them have done well in the... the Outbox Hill Classic this week and then there's another race and they were wanting to do all these races and so then you become a bit of a voice of reason. You don't say, no, you can't do it, but you say, have you thought this, this and this with Vic titles coming up? So you try and at times be that little voice in their heads that said, hang on, yeah, you are running beautifully. Let's not kill it by over-racing. Yeah, yeah, just just lay out everything on the table so that they're, yeah. They, they, yeah, methodically think it through. Yeah, so that's sort of how... Um, yeah, no, great. And um, so around about this time, um, uh, training-wise, like, um, how did... What 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 were your best sort of eight hundred sessions? What sessions were you? Um, what what was your favourite sort of eight hundred session to give or fifteen hundred session to give um, Matt or Collis? Um, yeah. Well, three of my favourites. Yep. Um, were they're they're different in their own little ways. I'm big on race modelling, so that uh, you try and uh, and I'm also big on trying to teach athletes how to kick. So there's two two that I call the Griffins. That are, one is is uh, for a fifteen hundred runner is to run say eight hundred because there's a lot of as you know there's a lot of things that come into the, into it yeah. pace judgment speed and then uh, ultimately finishing speed. Yeah. So one of my favourite sessions is to say we're we're going to run a fifteen hundred. We want to really give it to it. Is to run an eight hundred in the in the desired time of the 1500 so let's say if yep. somebody let's use an easy one that they're wanting to break four minutes for a 1500 yep. so a 64 second lap so you get them to run an 800 and 208 yeah they walk 50 meters jog 50 meters then do a 400 hard yep. preferably under 64 yeah not not that far under 64 that it's going to blow them out of the water they jog straight across the track 200 hard jog straight across 200 hard so you're breaking it down into the components First bit, the settling in period of a 1500. Next bit, the wind up and then the kick. Yeah. So that, that's one of my favourites. That's nice. And, and, you can, and what we did with Matt for 800s and, and for Mark and for Collis for that matter, is you can take the 800 out of it and say, okay, we're, we're gonna, do a, gonna train for an 800. We'll do the 400 in 54.55, usually first lap speed of, a, of, a, of an eight. Jog straight over, bang 200. Jog straight over, bang 200. Nice. So again, developing the kick, short recovery, and then putting it together. So that there, there too. Another one was a bit more complicated, which is to do a K in desired speed, then float 500 in say under two minutes, then 200 hard, float 250, 100 hard. So again, breaking it into smaller components. Yeah. So they're sort of what I call the Griffins. They're just uh, a couple of different uh, sessions that we do. And then a favourite of mine for 800, which I think you can't beat, yep. is is just three 600s flat knacker with seven-minute recovery. Yep. And and that's just like building up that lactic tolerance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's uh, just really good speed endurance. Yep. Um, and the, the boys would do those in low 120s uh, with the seven-minute recoveries. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, they're great sessions, and they 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 make sense. Um, I like that race modelling, modelling one. Look, yeah, it, it's good. I I get my young runners to do it, and obviously pull the times around. But it teach you don't want kids to be slaves to watches, but it's a good way of getting them to learn pacing and yeah. then to be able to kick off it, so that they know what their body's capable of. So it's it's one I use quite often. And it probably mentally uh, gives them the confidence that they might be able to do it or, or gives them an indication of where they're at. Uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And uh, you do see big big returns with it. Yeah, uh, that, that's great. Um, and then uh, from from here, like, so Collis was sort of, like, in 2005, like, um, 
uh, and then uh, with your coaching career at about that point um, with Matt, like, so what, what sort of has ha happened uh, and progressed since then over the last uh, 15 years? Well, it's been interesting because, of course, most of the boys have, well, uh, Collis moved on to, to Nick, which um, is, you know, and then his career went upwards and onwards. Uh, Matt moved to Melbourne. So, again, I had to regenerate my squad. And uh, then along come a young lad called Stuart McSwain. Yep. <laughs> and uh, Stewie, I'd actually see. I go over to King Island each year to help them with their Imperial 20. And this young lad ran the... Uh, ran the, the relay over there that they have and you could see him could go a bit and anyway he uh how he old was coming, he at this point he would have been only at primary school so he'd yep. been and see what happens on king island they have to move to the mainland either victoria or, or tassie to do their uh, sort of secondary education so um fortunately he came to Bayer and clarendon college and so from there, I was lucky enough to coach Stewie. And again, Stewie presented his own problems because people forget, and I've actually seen Stewie a photo the other day because um, when he broke the 10K record, yeah. I've got this photo of this little midget, uh, <laughs> which he was so tiny. Yeah. You could tell he was going to grow because he's he's got a twin brother and they were completely different body types. And, he, uh, and so he had all the usual severs and all those things that you had to nurse him through. But you knew again that there was a great runner sitting there and and uh, hit young and he's just gone on from strength to strength and I think we haven't seen the best of him yet. No doubt he's gonna yep. he's gonna keep improving. And I was also lucky enough at that time to have a a Sudanese lad called Dua Yawa come along and uh, he's probably one of the great regrets too because I don't think we ever saw the best of Dua. But again, yep. an incredible talent with an incredibly big motor and uh, yeah, so. The group changed again and we had new people come in. I was lucky enough to coach, say, Courtney Scott, who went to World Juniors, uh, Jack Davies. Um, so it, sort of all these people came in and then, sadly, in Ballarat, they have to go to Melbourne often to do their universities because the uni here used to be a, have a great PE course, but it, sadly, it's probably... They're trying to rebuild it again now, but we that used to attract a lot of good athletes to come to Ballarat. But now we find that a lot of kids doing their tertiary education tend to go to Melbourne and also for work. So you tend to you tend to then sort of lose them, which is sad. But, you know, you just say, so from my point of view, my squad's constantly evolving. Does that frustrate, frustrate you at all? Like, because you, you obviously uh, work really well with an athlete and, and then obviously, um, you know, through changes in life, work, uni, etc., they a lot of the time they tend to move to Melbourne or, or move away from Ballarat. Like, um, that must frustrate you a little bit? Look, yeah. it, it does, yeah. but by the same token, yeah. yeah, with, say, a Stewie or a college, you're happy to just see them go on yeah. and really achieve. Yep. With, with others that I coach, but I'm still coaching... Um, a couple of girls that were based in Ballarat. One did actually, after saying the uni thing, she did her uni in Ballarat. The other one moved to Melbourne for uni. I still coach them now and I catch up with them on, you know, at least once a fortnight face to face. So I suppose the better they are, the more likely they are to move on purely because I'm here and it's harder for me to, to be seeing what they're doing and they really need to be training in squads that can test them. Yeah. So, yep. so yeah, look, you become philosophic. I take sort of great pleasure in the fact that I've coached two of the last three 10k Australian record holders yeah exactly <laughs> um and and yeah I think that's a sign of a really good coach because you've obviously got the athlete's best interest in heart and um you just want to see them do well and uh yeah because yeah, it's very easy you know to yeah. get greedy and smash them as juniors yeah and I just, I just couldn't do that yes yeah and um with the um, handing over of um, Collis um, to Nick, as, with Nick becoming um, Collis's coach, like, how did that go, and um, how did, what was that process? Um, well, it was sort of a it was a, a, a sort of a gradual process over a period of about six to eight months, and uh, in the end, look, I I was still in a full time job. I had to, had to pay, make a living, yeah. uh, and Collis needed to move on and, and become. A serious athlete and it, in the end it was really just the most sensible thing to do yeah yeah and uh when you were coaching um 
uh, Stewie and Jack Davies and uh, was there many sessions uh, where you that you saw um, when they were juniors that you're like oh far out they're going to be um, good again you, it was interesting Jack was, uh, as a probably because Stewie had servers and I had to nurse him a bit but uh, I can remember the, the, the day that they both went to I think it was Vic All Schools and both broke 15 for the first time and went one two and they just blew the field away and i knew then these two kids can really go yeah and yeah and but you could see possibly stewie had that well not possibly definitely that and still can run very very well stewie just had that little bit of an edge in the way he covered the ground yeah yeah sure and what kind of mileage were they doing and training uh at that at that point were you holding them back a lot and were you surprised at how well they were going off off the training or uh, i wasn't really surprised but yeah. they were only sitting on 60 to 80 k a week okay. um yeah and uh, a lot of that was uh, and probably their longest run would have been 75 to 90 minutes i tend to work more in minutes than than k's i think it's easier for an athlete if i said i want you to run 15k in ballarat they could get lost in the bush whereas yeah. if you say i want you to go for an hour it may you know they can sort of judge a run better so i tend to work in minutes but 90 minutes was probably their longest run uh-huh um they do another longer one midweek probably an hour uh, yeah. and a couple of speed sessions and that uh-huh and and like you know with stewie having the amazing sort of uh, range that he's got now like 331 over 1500 and 27 23 over 10k um, like back then, did you see him having those wheels, or do you reckon it was like, like a bit to do with like finally he was grow, grow, finished growing and um, yeah? I think the, yeah. the finishing growing was the thing that kicked him on the best. He ran an eight twenty six. It's still the Ballarat Junior record here on Lamberis, and Lamberis not being an incredibly fast track. Um, that, but he, I never saw it at fifteen hundred. I never saw that coming. Yeah, he, you know, he was. I, he was always handy over 15, but I, you'd have never, I would have never seen. So his his bottom end speed has really just improved out of sight. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry, top end speed. What am I talking about? Yep. Uh, yeah, he's his speed over. I would think he'd probably be a sub 5400 runner by now. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and and uh, what what like I know we've touched on your coaching philosophy a little bit. Um, but um, so you sort of mentioned um, that you like sort of um, focusing on the positive aspects of um, some of the um, athletes that you coach of their race, like so just making sure that you greet them with a smile after their race and uh, yeah, you know, making, allowing the athlete to have a bit of ownership about um, their goals and their training um, and then also like um, providing a bit of structure. Um, like what, what other um, uh uh, aspects would you say used to describe your coaching style and um, uh, yeah, your general coaching philosophy? Well, I suppose I, I would consider myself a fairly quiet coach in lots of ways. We tend not to, I tend not to be too demonstrative on race days. We tend to talk more about how the race will evolve the previous week. We'll just talk about it because I tend to think that on the day, the athlete's got enough on their mind without then sort of filling in with you, oh, you've got to go through in this speed or you've got to do this or you've got to do that. Watch out for that person. Yeah. I te- we tend to have discussed that in company during the week. And so on race day, it's more just sort of keeping the athlete calm, you know, having a couple of jokes, the usual yeah. stuff, <laughs> and just making sure they warm up properly and and keeping it as, as calm as you can. So that, that, that really is it, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah, no, great. And um, then, uh, from like, um, how did um, you come in t- contact with Dua Yola and um, and start working with Dua? Well, at the time I was coaching Ben Toomey, and I've always been a great friend of Richard Huggins, and they gave me a heads up that this kid was coming to Ballarat, but they didn't know where or when or anything. Anyway, our youngest son was a pretty handy soccer player, and we were just driving around one day. And we were just sort of doing the old memories drive. And we went past where our youngest son used to play soccer. 
and I saw this lad hooning up and down the, the wing, and I thought, Jesus, that guy can run again. <laughs> anyway, I waited till after the game and just said, Gee, you, you're not a bad player, and he goes, thanks. And uh, I said, what's your name? And he goes, Doer, and I immediately said, you don't run there. And so that was how I found, I found him. And uh, <laughs> I said, I, I know, you know Richard Huggins and Ben Toomey? And he said, yeah, and so I got him along training. And look, this is going to be a big statement, but I think Dewar was probably the most talented distance runner I've coached. Yeah, really. So that's saying saying something with the company that, uh, or with the athletes that you've coached. Probably not the range of the other guys, but I think we never saw the best of him as a marathon runner. Yeah, well, I, well, I honestly think he could have been a sub two ten runner. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So and um, like, what makes you say that? Like, what makes you believe? Like, like, what did you see? Um, yeah. Well, I'll tell you a session that he did, and then you can make your own mind up on yep. it. Yeah. You know that Ballarat's lap of the lake, um, it's 6K around. Uh-huh. There's only been... The people that have broken 17 minutes have been Monna, who holds the record. Yep. Tony Benson, Lee Troop, and that's it. Or Collis or... No. Clint Perrick? Uh, Clint Perrick, yep. They're the four. Anyway, I had to do a preparing for the Gold Coast half. And so he went up to the lake this morning and I said, I just want you to roll the lap of the lake in, in 19 minutes, which is 310Ks, and then the next lap in about 18 and a half, which is 305Ks. Yep. He did, because he, he was a magnificent judge of pace. Uh-huh. And then did a bit of a warm down. And I said, look, the lap of the lake's on this afternoon. Do you mind doing the club thing? Just because the standard, I thought, wasn't going to be terribly high that afternoon. So I uh, said, you know, might roll a 20-minute one just to, yep. you know, so if you yep. do that. He said, yeah, no problem. So he came up, and it just happened that I didn't realise Stewie was coming up to have a run. <laughs> so the lap of the lake's game on. And Stewie's <laughs> gone out pretty hard, and Dewar's just sat on him. Yeah. And, and then out-kicked him yep. and run 16.59. Far out. And that's so, after doing a couple of um, laps in the morning. So he's done uh, a two in the morning, a 12K in the morning in what, what, about 36, 37 minutes, and then backed it up with another 6K about two and a half hours later in 16.59, which is uh, sub, which is, I think, sub-14 pace. Yeah. Yeah, well, I remember, like, Mono um, thinks that that record is one of his greatest achievements. Like, he, he thinks no one could have beaten him on that day when he ran 16.11. It's a huge run. Yeah. The, the, and I don't think it'll ever be broken because the course is now longer. They they lengthen the rowing course. So uh, it's probably about 100 metres longer now. Yeah, okay. But, oh, it's, it's an amazing run. Jeez. And so, yeah, so anybody that can break 17, of which that's a pretty select band. Stewie ran 17 flat. I think Collis has run 17.02. Yes. I, if Stewie came back, he might be the only bloke that could maybe threaten that record. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's that's incredible. And yeah, I, I, me- I remember seeing seeing Dewar and some some of the runs that he that, that he did. Like, um, yeah, uh, and he seemed to get fit really quick too. Yeah. Yeah, he did. But sadly, he he just didn't didn't want it badly enough, and yep. yeah, moved on. Yeah. And I. I and it's it's a shame because I honestly do believe he could have made the marathon for Tokyo. Yep. Do you think you ever come back to it or running? Do you think you ever get back into it? Well, I'm, I haven't heard from him for nearly two years now, so I, yeah. I think probably times you yeah. know yourself. Yeah. Um, so. I've probably got. Yeah, um, uh, I also wanted to ask, um, like, like, as a physio, like, I, I treat a lot of runners and um, uh, and then I wanted to get your opinion as a, as a running coach. Like, what, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see a lot of runners doing that um, constantly get injured or keep getting injured? Like, what are some of the um, typical sort of training mistakes um, that you often see? Well, I'll even take it back a step further and say that I wish parents would have private medical cover. Yeah. Because, and, and what I'm saying there is that from leading from that, that then they, they, 
when an, an athlete, a child gets injured or a young athlete gets injured or is sore, they balk at taking them to physio or to whatever medical practitioner they need to see because of the cost involved. And so, A, I wish they wish, and I know it's not cheap, but I wish the, that they'd take out private cover so that there's not that worry that if, if the athletes need something that they, they're not gonna balk at it. Then I suppose it's teaching athletes is teach them to be honest with me. Um, so one of the things that I do is when they're warming up, I'm walking around the athletes all the time while they're warming up, trying to engage, well, not trying to, engaging in conversation, seeing how they're feeling, letting me know if they're sore or if there's anything been going on, if they've had a bad day at school or whatever, or a bad day at work, just getting them to open up. So I've got a bit of a feeling in my head of, okay, the session I had in mind was this, but now knowing that, I'll pull it back. So first thing is me to try and assess that those things are happening, but also to get to encourage them. Okay, you, you, we all know the athletes that are constantly sore and are constantly yeah they yeah. they're not happy unless they've got an ache or a pain. <laughs> but you you learn to to work work with those ones, but you reduce out of them whether the athlete is sore, and then you can make you can get in first and say, look, I really think you need to do this, that, or the other. Um, and try and try and uh, head a lot of major problems off at the pass. So it's getting the athlete to be honest with you and open up to you. I think is the thing that they so that you're you're working as a team. Yeah, that that's um, a really big one. Um, that communication and uh, I think um, like as runners are they they're so keen to tick off what's written on the training program that sometimes they keep a lot of stuff to themselves and and then they they. Uh, like, but you know that's not necessarily the best thing for them if they're if they're sore or under the weather or stressed or yeah. exactly right. They they've got to tell you, and I think I've been pretty lucky that I've been able to develop that culture that the, that the athlete will open up to me and tell me. Um, a thing that I'm noticing a lot of lately though is iron levels in athletes. A lot of low, and it's not just in girls, but low iron in boys lately, and and it seems to be something that's that's being becoming more prevalent. Yeah, yeah, and that, that that's interesting that you've noticed that. Um, like I wonder, yeah, I, I wonder why whether it's um a dietary dietary thing or whether it's um more diagnosed now or, uh, yeah. It could be that we're just a bit more switched on and we're picking it up. Yeah, I know. And uh, I notice, you know, athletes that if they're if they're uh, plateauing in their performance or, or going back, it's usually the first thing I get them to go and do is get a blood test. Nice. And with the girls, I get them to get blood tested at least every six months. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit more about the girls that you have coached. Um, so, how's Courtney Scott going these days, and how do, yeah, what's she up to? Well, Courtney's now a full-time teacher, so probably not a... She's, she's still running, running most days, but probably just the intensity's gone off it a bit at the moment. Um, probably over the years, probably the, the best girls I've coached have been obviously Vicky Mitchell. Uh, a girl back that probably most people wouldn't remember now, Roseanne Brisbane, I coached for a short period of time. Roseanne made a world cross team. I, uh, Kevin uh, Maple, who I mentioned earlier, when Ruth Barton came to Ballarat, I coached... Ruth for a number of years. Uh, she made a couple of achievers. Uh, a girl called Anna Warland, who's still running down in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and then I've got at the moment uh, just a lot of youngsters really that are showing a bit of promise. And a, uh, a lady who I won't put the pressure on it, but I, I <coughs> by naming her, but I think that she is a physio, and uh, I think she's threatening to do a good marathon within the next couple of years. But we're just taking that one very quietly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so. Uh, but it's mainly a young squad of girls at the moment. Uh huh. Yeah. And then, um, what about the squad of guys at the moment? Like, um, who have you got um, that you're largely coaching um, in Ballarat? Well, I'm lucky to have the flying doctor uh, in my squad, Jordan Mason. And Jordan <laughs> is probably the best mentor role model you could have for a, gr a group of uh, junior athletes. But at the moment, I'm very lucky to have. Three or four really good young boys, um, Ben Ludbrook. They're all Ben's actually. Ben Ludbrook, Ben Manane, uh, Isaac Rosato, and Jack Diamond all look as if they're showing a lot of promise. And uh, yeah, we'll see how they go over the next two or three years. Yeah, I, I actually um, follow Ben on Ben Ludbrook on um, Strava actually, and uh, um, I've 
because uh, my brother's living in Ballarat um, at the moment, Ned, um, and he's he's popped down and done a few runs in your squad here and there, and um, he's told me how keen Ben is. Um, so it's good when you see someone that's um, so passionate about it. Yeah, he loves he loves it. So at times I have to put the brakes on him. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he's he's going well as young Ben, and uh, yeah, there's a uh, Ben Ben uh, Manane looks showing a lot of promise. I think he's going to look like Simon Field though, about nine foot high. <laughs> uh, so at the moment, I'm just having to be very careful with him because he's on a massive growth spurt. But yeah, so great little group at the moment, and a lot of credit's got to go to Jordan for the way he is the sort of the glue that holds that group together and is a, just a great role model for them. What do you love most about coaching, and uh, uh, like why do you still coach? Like, what do you still um, um, get as much out of it now as you used to? And uh, yeah, what what's what do you find so good about coaching? Well, I reckon I enjoy it more now than I ever did. Um, yep. It's all, in some ways, it's uh, when you've got outstanding athletes like Collis and Stewie, there's a lot of pressure on you to keep putting them up and they keep winning. Yep. And sometimes that is really uh, exhausting. Whereas now with the group I've got, it's uh, they're just a great group of kids who have got great parents and it's it's just enjoyable to go to training yeah uh, so sounds like you've got a really good culture there yeah and i think because i'm retired it, it's it, it's um it means i can spend more time i can be more flexible with you know if they want to train earlier during the day i can i i can help out with that sort of thing so yeah i, I think it's and I, i'm able now to spend more time with the athlete whereas when I was working full time, I'd just get to training at, at prescribed hours, and they'd have to be there at those hours because I, that was when I finished work. Whereas now I can say, "Yeah, well, let's train now," or "When would you like to train?" And so I can fit in around their times. So it's yeah, it just works so well. Yeah, and I wanted to go over um, uh, your role in so in a, roughly two thousand fifteen, I think it was um, you were. Um, uh, approached by AFS Australia to become the national uh, junior developmental coach, um, uh, and and uh, that was you know your role until sort of uh, was it about March last year? Uh, yeah, what did that consist of, and uh, what did you have to do there? And uh, yeah, uh, it was it came out of the blue, that, and it was I really enjoyed taking it on. Basically, um, it was. The national junior coach is probably not a not a true description of it. It was more coordinator, and basically you started to to go to the to all the all these state and national meets, spot athletes, keep an eye out for ones that were moving well, uh, make start to make contact with their coaches and just talk to them and just say, well, here, here, you know, if there's any help you need, if there's anything I can do, I'm here to help and point point you in the right direction. So it was more. A sort of a, almost, I suppose, in some respects, a PR role in that you were you were dealing a lot with the coaches and just just being a face that the athlete knew. And then when you came to going on, say, the World Junior trips, you'd made that that um, uh, contact with their coach. The coach knew that they they could give you a program that they were confident that you would deliver that program. That you were you'd look after the athlete well. The athlete knew you, so they were comfortable around you. So. It, that was, uh, as I saw it, the role. Um, I had to uh, conduct the camps. And again, what I'd do at the camps is instead of me saying, well, these are the sessions you must do this day, I'd work with the coaches and say, guys, we're gonna be in Canberra for the next four or five days. Send me your programs. Let's try and get a bit of commonality. And often you get from the coaches, look, we're happy for them to do whatever X or Y is doing. And you know, so it was just a working with all those coaches. And got, I was really lucky, got to work with some great guys and some and ladies, and uh, some saw some great talent. Probably the best being Joe Deng, but there was some incredible talent out there. Yeah, sure. And like, did that role involve a lot of travel and going uh, interstate? And uh, yeah, how many hours was it per week? Was that a full time <laughs> position or? It was a it was a, a, a part time position. It was really just an what they called an honorarium position. So uh, it was really up to you how much you, time you wanted to put into it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, look, for me, I, I didn't mind it. Again, I had I was retired. I it was easy. I loved talking with people, and I loved you know, and I've made some great friends out of it. So for me, it wasn't really a chore. It was a you know, it was just an absolute blast. Yeah. 
yeah, and and help helping, um, yeah, like so many, uh, you know, I suppose junior athletes like make sure that they, um, you know, I suppose stayed in the sport and um, progressed. Uh. Yeah, well, Joe Dean was amazing. He, we were over in Poland and he he ran this six hundred time trial and it was up just off the Australian record. And we all just looked around at each other and said, "This guy can run a bit." <laughs> and Carly Carly Thomas, another one in in Finland, that just you know she. That girl has got so much talent, amazing, and uh, I, I still think she can break the Australian record for 800. Wow. Katrina Bissett's got it at the moment, but I think yeah. Carly's well capable of getting it. Um, yeah. I'm really going to be interested in following her career. Yeah, that must have been a, a great part of the job as well, just that insight to, um, you know, seeing some pretty special athletes. Yeah, and 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 in, in lots of ways, they were great people too, yep. you know. I don't think any of the athletes that we took away, or certainly in the distance group, they were all just terrific people and uh, conducted themselves so well. It was absolutely brilliant. It was one of the really enjoyable phase for the last five years doing that. Okay. Uh, and then just a couple more, because I, I realise I've taken so much of your day. <laughs> um, Excuse me. That's all right, Rob. Um, I, was, I was just thinking um, uh, of like your... Because I think it's been about 25 years that you've coached, or, you know... I reckon it'd be longer. Longer, yeah. I reckon, yeah, I reckon. I started with a couple of youngsters probably over 30 years ago. Um, I'm trying to think how old Corey is. I I reckon it'd be about 30 years ago I started seriously coaching. So of those those 30 years, what would you regard as um, some of your most memorable moments? Okay, well, obviously, um, I reckon Corey winning his uh, the Oceana Games Cup was the first time an athlete of mine had ever won a, an international meet. I think Collis making World Cross as a junior, that was a big thrill because, um, again, it was just came out of the blue and really enjoyable. I think, obviously, Matt winning the uh, eight, uh, Open 800 was a massive thrill. Um, seeing Collis run in, in Beijing was just a sense of pride in that. And probably um, World Cross in, when was it, 2013, when I had uh, Courtney, Jack Davies, Stewie in the team. And, uh, of course, Collis was, was uh, basically captain of that cross-country team, even though I wasn't coaching him at that stage. It was nice to have... Sort of, I could hang my hat on four athletes in that team. <laughs> so that was that was pretty satisfying. So there's some of the high points, and some others are just you know kids seeing some kids run personal bests have been big thrills. You know, yep. sometimes it's not the it's the talented ones you expect to run well. Sometimes it's the ones that haven't really had much. Oh, I forgot to do a winning um, the Gold Coast half because I was in Poland at the time and was watching it on a live feed, and they. They called the guy second as winning it, and then they realised that Dura had gone through and won it. Now <laughs> <laughs> keep the Japanese guy over the last K. <laughs> so that was pretty good. So yeah, those are all big thrills. Yeah, just seeing like some of the athletes that you work so hard with, and uh, you know you put in all that groundwork, and then just just see them actually get some results and reward for all that effort, like. That's right. Um, I've already experienced that a little bit. Just, I mean, I've only coached uh, for the last year, but like, uh, like um, I've been getting just as much thrill seeing um, you know, some of the guys that I've been working with like do their PBs as as much as uh, I do when I run. Yeah. Um, so it's the yeah, same look, feeling. It is a great thrill because a hey, too it, it gives a bit of uh, justifies the the training that you've given. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a lot about. Yeah, it's it's hard to quantify, but it it does give you a lot of satisfaction when you see a plan that you've put together come off. You know, it's 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 very good. One thing at the moment that I'm doing is going back up. I'm sort of going a bit old school and re, re, going because you you tr- your coaching sort of keeps keeps evolving. And I'm actually going back and re, going through old diaries that I've kept from twenty odd years ago and seeing what training and what am I doing now that's different. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've actually brought back some of the old, good old memories and old favourites back into the, into the training programs. 
what were some of those differences and changes? Like what what did you what have you phased back in um, that you used to do twenty years ago? And yeah, well, I, I think it's um, I've probably got a bit more conservative with a lot of my athletes and took and uh, I've brought back in a bit, bit more pure speed into their training. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and occasionally, instead of just doing the, the standard two track sessions a week, we've done three, which yep. is a at times can be risky, but if you time them right and, and and you can put them into a program where they should be, then yeah, it works quite well. So it's just little things like that, um, and uh, just revisiting a few of the old training courses too, where we used to train, and just taking them over those, just to because as as in everywhere, Ballarat's getting developed all the time, and a lot of old bush trails are now housing estates. So it's finding the old tracks and using those again. Yep. Um, have you found, like, over the last 30 years that you've just got almost an encyclopedia of, uh, of, of training sessions and, and what you probably should do for this athlete in your head? Or, uh, like, 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 um, I, sp- like I suppose that, that's what intrigues me. Like, after doing it for so long, like, do you kind of go, oh, they've done this and they've performed, you know, maybe poorly in this race, so we've got to do this, this and this? Or Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. I... I I, I've got just about a hard drive filled with old training programs and yeah. and years of training, and then and then even back to the old diaries, handwritten that have got work in them. And, and you're exactly right. You you you're constantly reviewing your training, and yeah. you look at it. I, I at times when an athlete runs poorly, you're not thinking why. You're not blaming the athlete. You blame yourself and say, well, what did I do wrong? You know, did I cook them? Did I give them too much? Did I give them not enough? You yep. know, so you analyse what you've done wrong, or maybe not done wrong, but you, you, I'm, I prefer to analyse what I've done before I, and then look at the athlete. So, you, yeah, you tend to, because it's too easy to say, oh, they just had a bad day, but you've got to review yourself too and say, well, did you give them the right sort of training? What did you do differently, or what, what should you have done? So, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 cool, kind of really good to hear um, that um, it's, there's no hard and fast rule. Like you, you constantly. It sort of seems like it's an ever evolving sort of process. Like you've got your sessions that you feel like, oh yeah, this session will help that and that. But you're always constantly sort of, I suppose, um, restructuring or replanning, and and then you're probably like, um, I suppose, got oh yeah, 15 years ago I did this session with this person, and the same thing happened. So maybe I have to do this. Like, is that how your brain's working? Pretty much yeah. so. And you, I tend to highlight, um, I've got a couple of uh, builds, that, for one, for Doer that I used to use as a taper all the time because I found it worked once and it worked every time for him. So I used to just, we're coming up to a big race, here comes the taper and we just use it every time and it worked every time. And in the end, he could almost write his own program for the last three weeks because he knew that was what he was going to do. He had faith in it and it worked. Yes. And a c- couple of other athletes I've coached over the years, we did the same sort of thing, that they had faith that this is what they did each time, let's stick with it. Yep. And so, uh, and athletes, as you know, are creatures of habit. Yep. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so, but I, I I'm actually, uh, I'm going to do a review of the country champs. I think I got it pretty much right with all my athletes this time. But yeah, you just think, well, maybe I could have tweaked it a bit more here and there. Uh, I think you should be your own worst, your own critic at times, and say, don't get comfortable just because your athletes are on a roll that you're doing everything right. You've got to sort of just constantly be re- reviewing yourself. Yeah, no, I think that's um, yeah, yeah, like a really like I know that that's sort of the same sort of critical uh, thinking and, and reasoning that I use as a as a physio as well. So it's um, like I can I can uh, understand uh, understand. Um, um, what you're sort of describing there. And then I've just got two more questions. Um, right. the, I wanted to know um, where to from here and uh, like if you're to sort of look look down the track in 10, 20 years time, uh, do you see yourself still coaching? And um, uh, yeah. Sorry, could you repeat that? So uh, in, in, if, if you look down um, the track in tw- 10 to 20 years time, do you see yourself still coaching? Probably not. I'll be in, I'll be in my eighties. So 
I'm going to use my date on me, but I think I'll know myself when I'm not able to coach. At this stage, I love coaching, and I just love being around. Like I caught up with Bruce Scriven at the weekend. Scriven and I have been great friends for years. We call each other Mr. S and Mr. G. We've been massive friends, and so, and Bruce, I think he's older than me. But yeah, look, I hope to be coaching as long as I can, and so yeah, I hope to be around in 10 years at least. Yes. Yeah. Um, and just on that, like with Scribo and like who who have some of your biggest influences been, and 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 who do you look up to from a coaching point of view and um, really admire? Uh, so like you've you've mentioned, um, uh, you know, some of your early influences, but uh, who do you still sort of always admire and look up to? Well, Bruce is number one. We've been such good friends and close friends for a number of years. And he, like yesterday, I was actually uh, talking to him about just getting some advice. Bruce is one guy you can go to and never feel feel sort of inferior when you ask him, what would you do? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Bruce is always happy to help. And I, I find him just a great guy. Richard Huggins has been a great, great support. And, I, I have a, and Richard's been fantastic over the years. Um, a guy I've got to know in the last probably 10 years that's been also great with advice and help, Lindsay Watson from New South Wales. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, and then some of the younger coaches I've had a lot to do with and, the, and it's been a two-way street with them, but uh, I find them sort of a bit inspiring and, a, and uh, sort of keep me sort of pumped up a bit of Ben Norton and uh, Jaden Russ. Yes. Uh, two young coaches that are really doing some great things and their enthusiasm sort of rubs back on you. Yep. Uh, another guy I, I have a lot of time for is Simon Moran in, in South Australia. And of course, I coached Adam Diddick as an athlete, and so I still keep in touch with Adam, and Adam's doing some great things there. Uh -huh. uh, um, so yeah, they're all ones, that, and a good friend of mine, and I think it's been a friendship that's grown over teams and things, is Gregor Djajewski. And Gregor's, again, a, a very knowledgeable guy has got plenty to offer so yeah um been very lucky that and i think that's the thing with distance coaches that they're very happy to share and and what have you you know i i one of my last uh jobs as the um national junior coach was to have a camp here in in victoria uh january uh, february sorry last year and uh just uh, contacted justin Renaldi and said look would you mind if uh the girls jumped in with you with your group and it was not a problem, you know, straight in, yep, no worries. Um, then, you know, people like Peter Fortune, again, more than happy for the group to jump in there. Lisa Waitman, even though she's not a coach, she was happy to go and run with, with the girls and talk to them. So I think that's one of the great things about the distance community is they're very happy to share their ideas. Yeah, no, so it's um, full of just, um, yeah, I, I think distance running attracts a certain type of person and... Um, I think you have to be pretty, um, I suppose, patient and laid back and accepting to, 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 I don't know, it's a sport that involves a lot of training. So it does seem to, I don't know, attract a, a lot of good people. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It, it, it does. But when you think of it too, distance, distance running itself isn't that complicated. And, and really, when you think about it, we all pretty much do the same training. Yeah, the volumes might differ, but really the training is much different. It's really your squad mix and the personality of the coach that makes the difference. Yeah, nice. That's that's um yeah re really um like a really nice way to like I think because part of the reason for me doing these podcasts was to interview you know a half dozen dozen coaches and and just get some really nice insights to um, and their thoughts and um, almost just have this big round table discussion and. Um, and just hearing that message from you like is is really really nice to hear because I think um, that simplifies it to a lot of people because like a lot of the time we're always looking for this big session or the secret to training but I think um, getting that right mix of people and just making training fun so that you consistently turn up um, and you really enjoy your running like that's so powerful. Yep, and it, it, that's where I think my young bikes are going so well at the moment is because you've got the, the older athlete who they look up to, training with a group, he's a positive influence, and it just makes all the difference. Yeah, yeah, nice. And 
And then, um, yeah, probably the last thing that I just wanted to just quickly touch on was like, as your role as the, um, the, um, for AFS Australia, for the national um, developmental um, coach. Uh, and then since now that that role's been seized, like, is there much, like in terms of the um, well-being of the sport and the future of the sport, is there stuff that you keep just constantly scratching your head and wish that, um, there was something that operated a bit differently in the sport um, uh, in terms of the future of the sport. Is, is there any, I know it's a hard question to ask and put you on the spot, but is there anything that comes to mind? Well, look, I think the problem with Australia as opposed to probably Europe is we're so darn far away from anywhere. You look, I was watching the European uh, cross-country titles and they've got open, under 23, under 20, whereas they're the things that we miss out on here. You know, if you're living in Europe or London or anywhere, an hour and you're in two different countries, you've got the ability to race different people. Whereas if we're, we're a small population, a long, long way away from anywhere else. I do believe that money would solve a lot of the problems in Australia, just making more money available, trying to um, develop the sport. Um, I think seeing, hopefully, going to one sport, you know, the combination of littles and everything, so just a one sport might help. But we're battling against football codes and that seems to, Australians seem to love team sports. And uh, I think we, we will always struggle against that. And now they, that AFL has become such a, basically a running game, our, our good middle distance runners <laughs> are a prime target for them. Yep. And, and AFLW is going to make inroads too. So uh, if we could get more money into the sport, it'd be sensational. I don't know how we do that, though. <laughs> yeah. Whereas England have got the lottery money or whatever it is, you know, they've, they've got bigger budgets. We've just got to make do with what we can and we probably box above our, well above our weight with what with the athletes we've got now. But, yeah, yeah uh, I haven't got any silver bullet to change it all. Yeah, yeah, no. But that, I think that's that's true, isn't it? It's just um, it all comes down to, to money and funding and, um, yeah. If we could expose our athletes to more competition, whereas, as I said, in Europe, you know, you've just got to go across the channel. If you live in England, then you can race in Belgium or in Holland or in France and you can meet different people, race on different tracks and you and the, the better athletes, they get tough quick because they, they, they get used to looking after themselves, the travel and all those things. We just don't get those opportunities as much here. Yeah. And that's a bit sad. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that's been fantastic, Rod, and I'm so appreciative of you. Like, just, um, like I approached you just um, and just uh, messaged you and asked if you were willing to jump on and, and you were, um, yeah, I, I was so happy that you were, um, you know, keen to do it. And um, I was so thankful for you spending such a lot portion of your day with me and chatting um uh is there anything else you wanted to mention or um you know uh any uh, anything else you wanted to talk about no that's about it i think yeah <laughs> it's plenty <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure yeah no thanks so much Rod. um yeah uh and i'm sure so many people will really get a lot out of um our chat today and uh and um, all your pearls of wisdom and even you're just just so many so, you know 30 years of coaching experience um and you've certainly um, been been am, um, amongst you know some and, and coached some great athletes, and and then you've got so many experiences um, um, in, with the world cross country teams and being a team manager and um, and uh, yeah, your role with AFS Australia. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Tony. Yeah. Thanks, Rod. All right. See ya. See you, mate. Cheers.